Paul knew if he died, he would go to heaven. He says that in Philippians 1. But in Philippians 3, he says he's straining and pressing on to win the prize for which he was called heavenward so that he could somehow attain to the resurrection from the dead. If he was so sure of his salvation, why all the striving? Welcome to the Food for Your Soul podcast, where we apply the Word of God to the hearts of men and women to stoke the fires of your delight in Christ. Here's your host, Dr. D. Richard Ferguson. Tell what a preacher is into by what keeps coming up in his sermon illustrations again and again and again. And for Paul, I don't know if he was an athlete or if he just liked to watch the games or was really into sports or what, but he, but he used those sports analogies a lot. And today's passage is an example of that. If you look at verse 13 of Philippians 3, he says, One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize. All of that is language of running a race. And there are three things that Paul wants us to know about this race. First, the distance, then the prize, then the strategy. So we'll look at each one of those. The distance. What kind of a race is the Christian life? Is it like a sprint? Is it a 1,500 meters? Is it a marathon? The very first thing that Paul wants us to know about the race of the Christian life is it's not over. It's not over. Look at verse 12. He says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect. And then, so he says it twice there, and then again in verse 13, and then in verse 13, he addresses them, brothers. And then he says, I haven't done it. It's like he wants to get their attention. Hey, 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 look at me. Listen, listen. I haven't attained it. He's been a Christian for 30 years. He's got to be the most spectacular Christian that's ever lived. And in the next paragraph, he actually calls all Christians to follow his example. So he's the exemplary Christian. And yet, not even Apostle Paul had reached a level where he could just coast. He was still running. As long as he was alive, he was still in the race. He had obtained some of it, but only a tiny bit compared to the full final thing that he was going to get at the end of the race. So his first point about this race is, it ain't over till it's over. And it's over when you die. So this race, it goes all through your life, all the way up until you die. Repeats that three times. Hasn't arrived, he hasn't arrived, he hasn't arrived. And in the middle, he, he throws in that attention getter. Brothers! Haven't arrived. It's like he wants to do everything he can possibly do to demolish this, this notion that some people have that salvation is in your hip pocket. It's like, I got this. I got, I, I got, it, I got it sewn up. So many people think that just because they've been converted and they know Christ, their conversion is real, now they can coast. It's just a matter of time, and they're guaranteed to re- receive the final blessings of salvation no matter what, no matter how they live, no matter what they do. It's all sewn up. It's a done deal. Regardless of how they live, their destiny is in the bag. And Paul's saying, no, no, that is absolutely not the right way to think about it. The final goal of the Christian life, ultimate salvation, isn't something that you just wait for. It's like you're waiting for a date on the calendar to arrive. It's something you run into. Okay? That's what he wants us to see in this passage. And he needs to make that clear because the whole first half of the chapter is all about legalism. Remember, he's railing against legalism. And this whole time in the chapter, he's been saying, not saved by works, not saved by religious observance, not saved by anything that you do, any of your efforts. You're saved by the power of God's grace, which comes through faith alone, and that's it, not by works. And he's been saying that the whole first half of the chapter. 
But now what Paul wants to do is warn us about the opposite error, going too far the other way in what's known as quietism, which is that teaching that says, you don't put forth any effort. Don't strive, don't struggle, don't strain, don't work, don't run. Just rest in God and let Him do all the work. Stop trying and start trusting. Or rest, don't run. And so Paul wants to warn us against that error. The solution to legalism is not quietism. It's true that we're not saved by works, but here's what you need to understand. That phrase, saved by works, the problem with that phrase is not the word works. The problem with that phrase is the word by. If you want to fix that phrase, you don't get rid of the word works. You get rid of the word by and replace it with the word for. We're not saved by works. We are saved for them, for the purpose of works. That's Ephesians 2.8. the most famous verse in the Bible about not by works. It is by grace that you've been saved through faith. Verse 9, not by works. Then verse 10, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Not by, but for. And so the first half of chapter 3 is the not by works, and the second half of it now is but for good works. We're saved unto works. We need to run after those good works like an Olympian running for a gold medal. And so the whole passage is about movement, running. Verse 12, I press on. Verse 13, straining towards what is ahead. Verse 14, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All this movement, and it's, and it's, it's because of a call, this heavenward call, this upward call. The flavor of this passage is keep moving, don't stall out, don't slow down, run, run, run hard, move, move, move. And all this movement is upward, upward movement towards Christ. Movement in the direction of knowing Christ and receiving all that comes with the promise of salvation. So if you are converted, uh, that's great. Praise God. But what is conversion? Conversion is, is a turning, right? And what good is it for you to turn and face a new direction until you start actually going in that direction? That's the reason you turn, is to go. And so we need to run to take hold of the salvation that we've been called to. 1 Timothy 6.12 Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. We've got to take hold of it. We've got to run. Now, ultimately, what you've been called to involves moral perfection. Right? We've been called to be, to be righteous. And moral perfection is not something you're going to get through striving. It's not something you're going to get through running and working. Notice in verse 12 how when he talks about moral perfection, he switches into the passive voice. Not that I have already obtained, that's active, or have already been made perfect, that's passive voice. Being made perfect, that's something that's going to happen to you. When Jesus Christ comes, the second coming, in the blink of an eye, he's going to transform you and you're going to be made sinlessly perfect, just like that. And that's the only way that's going to happen. That's not going to happen through running. So... One question you might have at this point then would be, if the final goal of salvation isn't even possible in this life, if moral perfection isn't even attainable in this life, and it's just something that's going to happen to me at the resurrection, what's the point of running after it? Imagine there's some like magical gym somewhere to where if I went there, as soon as I walked in the door, just by walking in the door, I'd just instantly be transformed into a world-class bodybuilder just magically. 
If I'm driving to that place and I'm on my way to that gym, I, wouldn't, I don't think I would bring a weight and do a few curls on the way in the car. Why would I? If it's just going to happen you know, to me. So if perfection is going to happen to us, it's going to be miraculous, it's going to be instantaneous, why run for it now? Two reasons. First, the message of the Bible is basically this. It's God saying to you, look, all I require of you is to want heaven. I just want you to desire to live with me in my house forever. Just, just desire that more than you desire this world. That's all I'm asking of you. And so we're just like, oh, yeah, yeah, I want that. I want to go to heaven. I want to be with you, God. And I, I desire you more than I desire this world. And God says, oh, great. So then, so then what if I told you that you could have a piece of that right now? You could experience my presence to some degree and freedom from sin to some degree right now. Not easy. You have to run for it. But, uh, but if you run, the harder you run, the more of heaven you can experience right now. Would you say, oh, no thanks. I'd rather focus on the world. Well, then what, that would say something about whether or not it's really true that you desire him and his presence more than this world. But if we really do desire God and we desire heaven, we, want, we desire his presence and to be free from sin, then if he makes a portion of that available, not the whole thing, not perfection, but a portion of it available now, wouldn't we run after it? That's one reason to run. Another reason is that Paul wants to make sure that when that day arrives of the resurrection, he'll be ready. See, in order to be included in the number of people who are going to be raised at the resurrection of the righteous at the end of the age, if you want to be in that group, you've got to persevere. You've got to stand firm all the way to the end, right? You've got to stand firm in the faith so that you're in the faith when that day comes. And the only way to stand firm to the end is to run like there's no tomorrow. That's what he's saying in this passage, because if you look at Philippians chapter 3, you just read through it, all this stuff about running and striving, how would you summarize the chapter? I mean, if you gave it a title, what would the title be? Look at Paul's title. He doesn't give us the title until the end, but he writes this whole chapter 3, and then the first verse of chapter 4, look what he says. He summarizes what he just wrote. He says, Therefore, my brothers, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord. Okay? So all of chapter 3 is about how to stand firm in the Lord. This is how to stand firm. And the whole thing is about running and striving and moving forward in the race. So the way to stand firm is to run. The key to stability in the Christian life is keep moving forward. Um, it's it's kind of like being on a bike. You know, the, 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 if, you, if you're stationary on a bike... You can't balance. very difficult to balance when you're not moving. But once you get moving forward even a little bit, then even a child can balance a bike if, if, as long as it's moving. And the faster that bike goes, the more stability it has. The slower you go, the more unstable you are, and, and you go too slow, you tip over. That's, that's the way it is with the Christian life. If you want to stand firm so that when the end comes, you're still in the faith, you're going to stand firm all the way to the end, then keep running. Keep running. You've got to keep progressing. You can't stay still. It's amazing how many Christians are just standing still spiritually, waiting for something, waiting for, for something to change before they start really moving ahead spiritually. 
They're waiting. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for things to calm down. I'm waiting for life to get back to normal. They're just waiting for things to ease up at work. I'm waiting to get, to, to get for an opportunity. You know, I've been through a lot. I'm, I'm waiting for my emotions to heal before I jump back in. I'm in a bad spot right now. I'm waiting until I'm in a good place. Then I'll start moving again. Think about that sentence for just a second. I'm in a bad place. I'm waiting until I'm in a good place before I start moving. <laughs> That's not how it works, right? If you're in a bad place and you're not moving, you stay in the bad place. The only way to get to a different place than you're in is to move, right? And, and, and I know, I know for some of you that's hard. You've been hurt so severely, you don't feel like you can move. When you get hurt emotionally, it's kind of like having hypothermia. You know, like have you ever been lost in the woods and you're just, your core temperature gets so low that you, you start to shiver uncontrollably and everything. And when that happens, all you want to do is just, just sit down and, and just go to sleep and just stop moving. Everything in you wants to stop. But you can't. You've got to keep moving or you'll die. That's how it is spiritually too. You've got to keep moving, especially when you don't feel like moving. If you've been through some horrible trauma, some terrible sufferings, emotional healing is not going to come by staying still spiritually, by staying where you are spiritually. You'll never heal. If you don't get moving, you'll never heal. You can't just wait it out. Whatever has happened to you, even in the past, keep moving. That's the path to healing. So, what kind of race is it? How long? It's not a short sprint. This goes your whole life. It ain't over till it's over. When you think of how you're living your Christian life, how hard would you say you're running? Are there areas where you're really just coasting? Or are you going all out? Give a little thought to what you could do today to pick up the pace. Thank you for listening. If you found today's episode edifying, why not share it with a friend? This season of the Food for Your Soul podcast features excerpts from our sermon series on the book of Philippians, 50 expository sermons covering every verse. You can find those and hundreds of other sermons for free download on drichardferguson.com. Until next time, rejoice in the Lord always and set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God.